Hi, everyone. <clears throat> Let's see. It is uh, Friday, the 24th of April, 2020, and this is the uh, promotional... No, it's not promotional for practice live chat. I haven't slept very much. It is uh, the Luke Thomas live chat, episode 30. Hope you're doing well. I am Luke Thomas, of course. I'm the host, uh, one half of the host of Morning Combat, Showtime Digital, and of course, the Luke Thomas show on Sirius XM. We have a lot to get to today, so without further ado, let's get going. You might hear my daughter screaming in the background. I do not know. Um, happy Friday to everybody. I hope you're doing well. Uh, on today's podcast, we will get to a number of issues. UFC 249 news just broke. We'll react to some of that, plus all the questions you wrote in the thread that I always post 24 hours ahead of time on uh, the community tab here on the, the channel. Uh, as always, please subscribe to the channel and then donate. That's your other piece of housekeeping news. Today is the last day to it's the last chat of the month, basically. So uh, it's the last time I'll be taking live donations for our Capital Area Food Bank um, donation drive, whatever you want to call this. So if you want to get in a donation today, all proceeds from all month plus some extras actually are going to go towards the Capital Area Food Bank. There was an article today in the Washington Post about the challenges they're facing um, trying to keep hungry people fed. So Please consider um, giving to them if you can. We'll put one big donation together. And I'm going to contribute financially um, on top of whatever you guys contribute as well. Right? Going to put your money where your mouth is, quite literally. Well, sort of. Um, so, yes, please get those in today. We'd really appreciate that. I think we're sitting right at around 1900 give or take. I think like 1870 something like that. So, um, would really love to get over that 2000 hump if possible. That would if you if we are able to get uh, two thousand dollars, that means they're able to have five thousand meals to feed hungry families, which I think would be a lot of good. All right, with that out of the way, uh, let me pull up your questions, and then uh, while I'm doing that, oh, man, I've got just all kinds of equipment I'm trying to upgrade here, and I just got my cable management sucks. It is not good. Uh, let's see, go to the community tab. All right, and I'll pull this sucker up. Okay, so we'll get to that in just a second. Let's react to some of this uh, very quickly if we can, some of this UFC 249 news. So it's official UFC. It's funny, he, Dana White went on um, Brett Okamoto's Instagram Live and like didn't want to give away venue location, and then like immediately the UFC tweets it out and then sends out an uh, email to that effect. Um but in any event, so here's how it's going to go. Real simple. May 9th, May 13th, and then May 16th, UFC is going to have back-to-back-to-back shows. They will all be in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, they will all take place. Let me pull up my email here that I got from them. They are all going to take place at the Vistar Veterans Memorial Arena in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, they also put out a statement. I retweeted it. You can see. Uh, in, with specific consideration towards health and safety, they said they're working with the uh, the governor, Ron DeSantis, the local mayor of Jacksonville, as well as the head of the Florida uh, Boxing Commission. I think his name is Patrick Cunningham. I might be getting that wrong. Um, and they said that there would be additional advanced screening, temperature checks, a series of steps taken, obviously, to um, prevent any spread of COVID-19. 
You know, your my, my take on this might be. Oh, and by the way, so for May 9th, it'll be UFC 247 officially Ferguson Gaethje officially Cejudo Cruz. Um, my oops, pull that back. My bad, I bumped my thing. My take on this will probably be different than what some of you might imagine, which is I really have no idea if this is a good idea or not. Um, it's really going to depend on your sense of risk management, but I don't view this the same as I did the show on the 18th. And I'm certainly not going to cover it the same way as that I had intended to cover it on the 18th, which is to say, obviously, everyone and their brother is going to be paying attention to what health and safety protocol is there and what it all amounts to, right? I mean, that's uh, you, me, all of us, right? I don't think any of that is particularly going to go away. Um, but, you know, look, they got the imprimatur of the state now. The commission is involved. They hit a reset button. My guess is whatever their plans were for Tachi Palace. Some of those, if not more, will be taken into account for this one. So I don't think it's the exact same amount of risk. Because before, remember, there was like the whole risk about what you do about COVID-19. And then there's this risk about like, why are you self-promoting inside the contiguous 48 states? That was, there was like a dual, dual considerations. Well, half of that is just gone, right? And no one really knows if they've got the right answer for COVID-19. We're going to find out. Um, again, your mileage may vary on the risk assessment here. Uh, I indicated on Twitter this week, if you look at the outbreak of COVID-19 in Duval County, where Jacksonville is, um, it's not bad. It's not bad at all, but we don't know where it's going to be by May 16th, and they have relaxed uh, some of their restrictions uh, socially, especially as it relates to, like, for example, to the beach. You can't just lounge there. It's open from two different spots on the course of the, the morning and then the evening, or afternoon anyway. Um, and you have to be mindful of socially distant behavior while you do it. But, um, I mean, here's really the whole point about it. I, I made the video about it, which some of you d didn't agree with, but I'm not really sure why, which is, look, <laughs> none of us here on this issue are Ken Bone. Remember, guys, remember Ken Bone? Where it was like, um, it was, it was uh, Trump versus, uh, uh, hang on. It was Trump versus um, Clinton. Right, and then they had this dude Kenneth Bone, Ken Bone, and they were like, you know, who do you want to vote for? He's like, well, I'm undecided. And you're actually asking yourself, it's like, dude, I don't care who you like at this point. How the fuck can you be undecided, Ken Bone? Right? There's no Ken Bone here. Either you think this is a good idea and you like it to go forward, or you don't. And there's nothing I'm going to say here that's going to convince you one way or the other. Nor am I going to try. Everyone has enough information about this scenario to make up their own mind. The UFC now has, the, as I mentioned, the imprimatur of the state being involved to potentially mitigate risk. You could decide for yourself whether or not UFC is an essential business, right? And how the WWE is an essential business. Like, dude, everyone is going into this eyes wide open. No one is confused about their own positions. You may agree with one position. You may disagree with the other. Certainly, I have my views on this. But I've made them all pretty clear. Uh, and again, I don't think this is the same situation as before. I think it's actually pretty different in a lot of respects. But, you know, who the hell knows if what they're going to do related to COVID-19 is going to work. Don't know. Could. It's all a risk thing. But I'm not here to, to, to try and convert you at all. Um, I am as curious as you to see what happens here. So, everyone has made their arguments. UFC is going to go ahead. ESPN put out a statement saying they welcome them back. It's full steam ahead. There's nothing to stop them at this point that I'm aware of. I guess we'll see what the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times have to say about it, if anything. Um, 
my hunch is probably nothing. I think a big part of what happened the last time was the avoidance of the commission, to be quite honest with you. But we'll see. We will see. We will see. We will, we will see what happens here. But none of us are Ken Bone, where we're like, well, I just don't know who I would like to uh, be president between these two people who are entirely different. I just, I just can't figure it out. You've got your ideas, right? There's everyone. The fighters have enough information to make a decision. The managers, the promoters, the television networks, the fans, the media, everyone is eyes wide open. It's going to happen. Let's see what happens. Is my attitude. That is it. There's not what else what else could you possibly say at this point that hasn't been said or that needs to get said? Nothing. Nothing. There's nothing else you could say. So why waste any more time on that as it stands? Right? I think we could all agree with that. Uh da, 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 da. Okay. All right, let's get to, make sure everything looks good. <laughs> Luke's daughter cut his hair, $0 haircut. Yeah, my haircut sucks. Although she didn't cut it. You know, what do you want me to do, guys? It's, it's a barracks cut, if ever there was one. All right. Um, let's get to your questions. We do that now. Okay. First question, true or false? John, Joe, let pull up the whole thing here. Okay. John Jones ends his career, ends his career with more than two losses. Ooh. I'll say true. McGregor fights more than three times in MMA before retiring. I'll say true. Tiago Santos fights for a belt again before the end of 2021. Interesting. Um... You know what? I'll go for the trifecta here. I'll say true. Less confident about the last one and the first one. The, the middle one, though, I'm pretty confident about. <clears throat> All right. Uh, Jason Mayhem Miller and Ariel reconnected after eight years of bitterness. Do you ever see, <laughs> see yourself reconnecting with someone like John or Ariel? I don't know. You look, never say never. I can tell you it's not at the front of my mind. And I'm frankly surprised that anyone ever cares about it. I cannot... I'll be honest... People seem to care about this issue in ways I cannot comprehend, but they do. They are deeply invested in whether or not John and Ariel and I are all buds. Um, who's to say, right? One never knows. But I can tell you, it is about, uh, if I had 100 priorities, it'd be 101. Okay, who is the dark horse for you in every weight class? All right, well, let's pull up the weight classes, shall we? So who's my dark horse at flyweight? <laughs> I mean, does Benavidez count? Um, probably Moreno. He's made big improvements, man. Really big. He's looked great of recent. Um, at Bantamweight, got to be San, a Sanhagen one. I mean, it's hard. He's a contender, so he's a dark horse. Um, maybe Garbrandt, if that's the way you want to go. At Featherweight, you know, your top contender, probably not counting Max, obviously, would be uh, Zabit, maybe. And then Dark Horse, Emmett, right? Emmett, I think, has been pretty good. Um, of course, he had some bad losses, too, but let's go. 
lightweight, I'd say Felder, Hooker, something like that. At welterweight, got to be Gilbert Burns, right? He can do everything. At uh, middleweight, Shabazian. Light heavyweight, Rakic. For sure, Rakic. At heavyweight, I mean, we'll see how he does at 249, but uh, I guess Rosenstruck. At women's straw weight, you can't say Suarez because she's been a top contender, but with the whole neck issue, could you call her Dark Horse now? You know? Um, at flyweight, fuck. <laughs> Shevchenko is just so much better than the field. Uh, Andrea Lee. I get. I mean, I don't. There's no great answer there. Lauren Murphy, maybe. Uh, women's bantamweight. Fuck. Man, you got some dominant champions in these weight classes. Uh, you know, okay, but they're dark horse. Uh, I'll go. You could go. You could go Pena if you wanted, right? Maybe Aspen Lad. Something like that. So there you go. These are off-the-cuff answers that I probably you know, would take back if I had more time to think about it. Uh, Luke Rockhold's return fight should be against A, Anderson Silva, B, Chris Weidman, C, Shogun, D, Gustafson, E, Manoa. Well, none of those are bad. All right, so if I'm Luke Rockhold, and I'm not, although after he was on, you guys know this, after he was on uh, Millionaire Matchmaker, my DMs blew up. With uh, very confused women thinking I was him. And I was like, honey, I am about to disappoint you in ways you never thought possible. All right. So let's see. If his last four fights, he lost to Bisping in 20... So his last win streak ended in 2015. So five years ago. And when, when was that? December. Oh, so okay. Of April, he had a four-fight win streak of 2015. So 2015, he had won... The Philippou fight, the Boach fight, and then the first Bisping fight, and then Leota Machida. That's April of 2015. He won one after that against Chris Weidman, obviously, but that was, um, you know, five five years ago, almost to the quite literally to the month. Yeah, April 18th. Wow, holy shit. He had won, you know, it's an incredible win streak. Since then, he beat Chris Weidman, which was big, but that fight took it out of him. He loses to Michael Bisping. He beats David Branch. And then loses to Yoel Romero, and then loses badly to Jan Blahovich. So since then, he's only competed. He competed once in 2016, once in 2017, once in 2018, once in 2019. So I'm going to say he needs to fight somebody who's not going to give him a very difficult time, right? So of the choices you had given, I'm going to take out Gustafson because I think the chance of him giving him a tough fight is strong. Same with Manoa. And Shogun. Now, Weidman could give him a tough fight, but he already beat him, so you feel like it could be a little bit different. He would have an advantage on the feet, you might think. Plus, he's crafty on the ground. Luke Rockhold, it's, an av- it's a style matchup that I-, I think favors him. And then Anderson Silva. So your two choices are there. Now, I put out a video this week saying I think the fight to make would be Anderson Silva versus Chris Weidman 3. I like trilogies. God damn. I like trilogies a lot. I like what they offer. 
Um, I like their rivalry. I think that there's a lot of benefit for both. If you're Chris Weidman, you've already beaten the guy. Well, you might be like, well, you've already beaten him. Why, why do you need to beat him again? You beat him twice, as a matter of fact. But there's there's still lingering uncertainty because the first time, oh, it was Silva clowning. And then the second time, it was the terrible leg break. If you could beat him a third time cleanly, you're like, well, it's not the same guy anymore. But you know, if you beat a guy three times over three fights, even if there's some irregular circumstances across all three, you kind of win the debate. Plus, you already beat him. He's a big name. There's some benefit there. On the other hand, if you're Anderson Silva, you get the chance to get one back. You could retire off that if you win. Um, there's just a lot of ways to really like that one, right? There's some redeeming aspects to Luke Rockhold fighting Anderson Silva, too. Um, you could look at that one and say a lot of the same things. If Anderson Silva wins that, he beats the guy who beats Chris Weidman. So, you know, you could you could, you could could add to your resume that way. If you're Chris, it's a winnable fight. Or excuse me, if you're, um, if you're Luke Rockhold, it's a winnable fight. So that could be a good one, too. But I would say... Um, that would eliminate all all of the choices that you made there, so it wouldn't work. But if I had to keep one, I would say Anderson Silva. But I still think the better fight is Weidman Silva three. Realistically, do you see MVP ever holding a belt in Bellator or any other major promotion? Thanks for all the content and important info throughout this time. It's been one of the only upsides of all this. Hope you're staying safe. Yes, I am staying safe. I only leave the house to do essential things. Got my bike fixed. That was hilarious. I went to this bike shop and they were, uh, they had, they had, bike services are considered essential, uh, at least in DC. I don't know about the rest of the country, but here they are. And uh, so you go there and they had spray painted six feet radius around the front door. You couldn't come past it. You had to have a mask. They wouldn't even like talk to you if you didn't have a mask. And you had to call once you, once you were there. And then someone came outside. He had a mask and gloves. You tell them what you want. And I had to get my bike chain cleaned and oiled, and I had a flat. And uh, they fixed it, and I had to wait outside, and then they came back, perfect, whole nine yards. But it was like, couldn't go inside, nothing. But it, it worked. They got my money. In any event, um, all right, do you see MVP ever holding a belt in Bellator or any other major promotion? No. No, I do not. Uh, he's got a very interesting striking style. He could be fun for a lot of people. He's got some ability. But clearly you saw against the Douglas Lima's of the world. And granted, Douglas Lima's a very good fighter. But he had basically nothing for Douglas. Not not much of anything anyway. And uh, I think those I think the upper tier of welterweight is just beyond his grasp at this point. Like he he's kind of a known quantity. There's a question at what time he would develop and we'd see like who he became ultimately. Um, and the answer is he's a good fighter, but he's not a super elite welterweight. That's not what the evidence shows. And he's old enough now to basically consider you've either seen his ceiling or he's at it, or it's not much beyond what it is now. So uh, I think he's actually in a great place. Um, he can be a regional draw, which he is. He's certainly a top-level showman. He's a good fighter, as I mentioned. He's a, he's a solid welterweight. But... Uh, there are just too many ways for his game to be overrun by better fighters that it's hard to consider that a title contending kind of game. Um, but being in Bellator means they can put up with matchups where he can do Michael Venom Page stuff. You know, and that's exciting for a lot of people and a lot of people like that. So, you know, the question is, it's prize fighting, dude. The question is the biggest prize. Oh, the title's the biggest prize. Yeah, well... Yeah, when you melt it down and take the gold to the bank to go pay your mortgage, then it's a big prize. In terms of the checks he's drawing for his style and, and the way in which he competes, he's doing everything right. 
you know. So is he the very best welterweight on earth? No, and not even close. But is he playing the game the way the game is supposed to be played? You could make a strong case for that. Uh, why do you think Benson Henderson's lightweight title run is so forgotten? How do you think he'd stack up with the current top contenders? Not great. Um, look, here, here was the interesting part about that. He Let's pull up his record here, shall we? The big part of it is there was constant controversy about it. Everyone knew he was good, and everyone respected his ability, anyone with half a brain. But the problem was he had a lot of wins where you were like, you know, they were real dicey. So let's take a look at the when he was winning. So he won the title eliminator against Clay Guida. That was that was dominant. Uh, and then he beat Frankie Edgar at UFC 144. Very questionable. He beat him again at UFC 150. Very questionable. He ran over Nate Diaz. Fine. And then he had a split decision to go to Gilbert. I thought Gilbert won that cleanly. I did not think that was even difficult to call at all. And then he got armbarred from Pet by Pettis. He beat Josh Thompson. He beat Habilov. But then he got knocked out by Dos Anjos. He lost to Cerrone. He beat Brandon Thatch. That was nice. He beat Jorge Masvidal. Then he dipped out and went to Bellator. Lost his first fight in Bellator badly. Koreshkov had his way with him. Granted, up a weight class, but still. He then he beat Patric uh, Patricio, but barely because it was a weird leg injury. Loses two in a row to Patricky and Chandler. And since then, he's had some decent wins. Four in a row. Huerta, Saad Awad, uh, Adam Piccolotti, who I have a higher respect for than Miles Jury, who's also very good. But the answer here is he had three wins, winning it, defending it against Edgar, and then the um, Melendez fight. All of them are very questionable. Like, And it's, it's hard to make a case that he even won two of those three. So partly there was just a lot of lingering doubt about whether or not he was the best one. Even against Nate Diaz, he went the full freight, the whole five yards. And then Anthony Pettis subbed him in, in in under a round. He lost it quickly, you know. So, um, and so that so Pettis had beaten him in in WEC. So you got the thought. It was like, well, I guess all this time Pettis was actually the best. This is what you were saying at the time. Pettis is actually the best. He just didn't get a chance to show it. And now that he has, he's the best. Now that wasn't true either. It turned out, but I think that was the prevailing thought. The problem was he was a he is a good fighter. He has good wins. Um, but his reign was never that dominant. He was he was competitive, and he was obviously elite. I mean, make no mistake about it. He's a and, and he was and look. If you're going toe to toe with Frankie and it's close, you're obviously very good. If you're going toe to toe with Prime Gil Melendez, you're obviously superbly talented. We're talking about you know, you know, a, a special class of fighter here. But it's not, it's not like one of these runs where someone gets it and then they... Like, for example, John Fitch was running through everybody St. Pierre was too and then some other ones he wasn't. And so when they faced off, you were like, well, St. Pierre's the better guy and he should win this. But, you know, Fitch is worthy of respect and he should take, we should take this seriously. And then St. Pierre beat the brakes off of him, man. Like, it was, it was from pillar to post. Just an absolute schooling. He never had that. He never had that as champion. He beat up on Nate Diaz, but even then, Nate was giving him the finger in the middle of the fight, you know, and it just, it went the full distance, and it wasn't it wasn't like the beating St. Pierre handed down um, to Fitch. So there was, it was always missing those kinds of moments, you know, where you're like, whoa, that's the guy. You always thought he was 
Yes, he had the belt, so he was the guy. But you, even if you felt that those wins were in dispute, you always knew he's like he's up there with him. I just don't know if he's that one. And because after he lost, you know, he was kind of up and then down and then up and then down. You were like, eh, I don't know. I don't know if he ever was what that title conferred upon him in terms of its actuality. So that's probably why. And again, that's not to say he didn't, you know, um, he didn't fight ably. He was obviously elite for a time. It's just, it's just if you're if you won it controversially and then defended it controversially. And then you beat an overmatched fighter. Okay, fine, but it went the distance. And then you had another one that was just crazy close. And frankly, I, I, I to this day, believe Gilbert Melendez should have been UFC lightweight champion. No doubt in my mind. Um, it's going to hurt the way you remembered, you know. Now that Gaethje has made some key adjustments to his style, how do you think he would fare in a rematch with Dustin Poirier? Wow, what a great question. Ha, huh, tough to say. Well, he'd get hit a lot less, which means he'd likely go longer. If you go back and you look at um, when he got finished off by Alvarez and then Poirier, it was late, late, late third round Alvarez, early fourth round Poirier. So it was like right at that, you know, 14 to like 16 mark or so, 17 mark, where he begins to, well, that style he previously employed against guys who don't go away you begin to see that the the limits of the style he was employing. He gets hit a lot less now. His numbers have dropped dramatically in that regard. Two full digits. Two. He was he was above. He was at one point above strikes absorbed per minute. He was above ten. I've never seen that before, <laughs> anywhere. Uh, for and certainly not for an elite fighter. That was. I mean, that's a crazy high numbers. I think he's in the mid eights now. Uh, maybe right at nine, something like that, but it's dropped. So he's a lot better about that. Uh, that's one. The second part is, uh, I, I still think that you know he gave Parier some trouble. Um, he's a hard hitter. He still lands the leg kicks. The question is, um, I have to go back and watch how Parier won the first time. Parier was able to take angles on him in the in the pocket. So my question would be, to what extent? Like you saw it against uh, against against uh, Cerrone, he was able to um, sort of go into the pocket, switch stances, faint his way in, land, and then get out. It would if he did that to Poirier, I would like his chances a lot more. If Poirier was backing him up and then forcing him into these exchanges, those are brutal. But Poirier had shown previously that he can weather that storm and then uh, really stick it to him. So it, it, would, it would really depend on what Poirier did because Justin has the ability to wait in and now wait out. Take angles, take angle, take angle, wait in, wait out. Like he's got, he can do all of it now. Um, or at least it seems like he can because he fought Vic and then Barboza and then Cerrone and then all of them ended fast, fast, fast. I want to see if that's he can maintain that style over time, which is another question as well, right? Uh, thoughts on how Tyron Woodley compares to the top of the 185-pound division? Kelvin and Till look good, even though Till beat a welterweight Kelvin. How far do you think Tyron can go if he makes the move come to the start of next year? Would love to have seen him go up after the Till fight. Yeah, that's an interesting one. You know, I said this on the video this week too, if you guys saw. Um... 
I don't know what to make of Tyron right now. I mean that sincerely, which is good or bad. I don't. I don't know, you know, because he fought in 2019 in March. He lost. He lost badly, but you know it's hard to just. It's dude. It's hard to be a champion at welterweight, and he was a champion among all the greats. Uh, I guess you could throw even Marilla Bustamante in there, and even then he would be the oldest. Tyron is, I believe, the oldest UFC uh, middleweight champion, and he's one of the better ones, certainly of the modern era. You know, he got it at age like 33, 34, and then lost at 36, 37. You know, most of the other guys won it in their 20s, lost it early 30s, Militich 30 to 33, right? It's unheard of. Even Lawler, I think 32, then lost at 34. Uh, you know, that's when Tyron was picking it up. He is... He is uh, much older than uh, virtually every other elite champion and held on to it for longer than um, Lawler did against very, very stiff competition. You know, that tells you he's doing something special at an advanced age. He's not in his 20s, and he's able to go and do pretty incredible things the way he was winning. Certainly the, the fight against Till was a big example of that. Um, at the same time, though, it's like, dude, like that that's remarkable for what he was able to do from his mid to now late 30s to, to be that dominant. But you know you're, you're, you know, uh, less than two years away at this point, technically speaking, from forty. You know, to to compete at that weight class at forty is uh, difficult. Uh, very, very. There's a reason why you don't see a lot of guys do it at a high level because it's it's there's such an amount of talent that's just coursing through the veins of that division. If you're older, it's just hard to compete. So you go back and look at middleweight. Middleweight's gotten a lot younger too, which is kind of the problem. You got Adesanya, Whitaker, Costa, Cannonier is a little bit older. Romero is certainly a lot older, but he's what would you call him? Unique. And then Till. So of the six names I mentioned, I think Adesanya just turned thirty, and the, and then Whitaker's either right at it, and then Till's still in his twenties. It's a pretty young division. Um, Costa, I think, is young as well. And then you got Hermanson, Gastelum, Brunson, Shabazian, super young. And then Uriah Hall. It's a pretty young division. Those are all going to be tough fights for him, man. You know, they may not have been... The, the division might have been a little bit different. Um, maybe not for the, the Rockholds in his prime and, you know, the 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 Widemans in his prime. But I think, I think in his prime, 34-35, Woodley could have beaten some really good middleweights. And maybe he still can. I'm going to remain kind of agnostic because... I think that he's right when he says he didn't get a lot of the credit he deserved for how talented he was at the time. Um, people copied a lot of the blueprints he had, for example, in beating Demi and Maya. You know, um, he has shown tremendous, well-rounded skills. At the same time, at age 38 for that division, I think having a degree of not unfair but healthy skepticism about what remains possible in these increasingly younger and always difficult divisions, at least in the case of welterweight, is prudent. I think it's prudent. So if he comes back on any of these upcoming cards and he looks really great, we can revisit the conversation. But I'm not ready to bury him, and I'm not ready to say, oh, he can just go up there and do that. I think we haven't seen him since March of 2019. I would like to see what he looks like. Was the performance against Kamaru aberrant, or is it an indication of a, a, a larger trend that is now unavoidable? And we don't have enough information to really answer that question. But I again, and you could say, well, 38, we have enough. Yeah, but he was still very competitive at 36, 37. So 
So let's see. Let's see what he looks like when he comes back. And then between that performance, whoever it's against, and the Kamaru performance, even then it's just two incidents. But that might give us a better indication of, of, of where he's at and, and what reasonable um, assumptions we can make at that point. This person asks, hey, Luke, I was watching a Chael Sonnen video, and he mentioned that it would take five to seven years for people to figure out what the Danaher, I'm sure I butchered the spelling boys are doing. Yeah, Danaher Death Squad. Mm-hmm. I heard you voice your admiration for Danaher and his camp before and was wondering if you agree with that timeline. Five to seven years seems long. I don't think that's right. I mean, 2013, Jiu-Jitsu was in a very different place. But I will say this. You know, how often do I do... I mean, Eugene Behrman is the coach of City Kickboxing, right? Of Dan Hooker and Adesanya. I mean, that dude on my show told me, whenever anyone comes on your show from my gym, I have a talk with them up front so that they don't tell you anything related to technique. Like, they, he warns them when they come on my show, don't tell him anything. Now, they tell me a little bit, a little bit. They give me a little bit of a window. But they don't tell me much. Because even for guys like that, who I believe have a comparative advantage in the striking department in general, not in totality, but in general, <clears throat> they believe that, clearly they believe, that a degree of secrecy, at least as it relates to blurting it out loud, is important to retain that competitive advantage. Gordon Ryan is the exact opposite. Dude, Gordon Ryan can't stop making videos being like, here's how I comprehensively do everything. In fact, <coughs> in fact, I asked him about it on my show. I was like, dude, in MMA, it's very hard to get someone to talk about their game plan. It happens on occasion. Sometimes they're wide open about it, but it's, it's pretty rare. You guys know it's pretty rare. And I'm not just talking after, before the fight where obviously they don't want to say anything. I'm talking after the fight, too, where they're just like, I'm not going to say jack shit. I'm not going to say anything about this. No how, no way, no nothing. And uh, he he won't stop telling you. And just from, like, you know, major details, here is my entire system from Turtle. Here's my passing system. Here is my close guard system. With Danaher included, here's my attacking the back. Here is my butterfly hook system. Here is my, I mean, you just name it. Gary Tonnen has one on all his escapes. And, you know, all, and Tom DeBlas has one, I think, from Half Guard. Like, all those guys are systematically, they are telling you what they do. Now, I'm sure that they keep some individual circumstances for themselves, but they're giving you a pretty large blueprint. And I asked Gordon about it. I'm like, aren't you concerned? And he, he had basically two answers. One was, I'm not sure if I can believe this or not, but he believes that his competitors are too lazy to like look at his own videos to see what he's doing. Like they, like the, the argument he made to me was that they believe that they know it all already, even though they don't, and so they just wouldn't be inclined to, to watch. I'm not sure what to make of that one. But the other one he said, I do believe is correct, which is, he's like, dude, we're so far ahead of them. Whatever we put out on video now we won't even be using by the next ADCC. So part of what Chael's thing is, is it to take five to seven years. It's like to know what, because their system, it's not a system that they came up with and then they employ it and it doesn't change. It's evolving itself. But the thing that stands out to me about it is, let's go with Danaher, for example, and his Attacking the Back series. You can get it on BJJ Fanatics. I've not finished it, but I've gotten pretty far through it. 
you know, I've been to a bunch of gyms teaching attacks from the back. I've never had what he is trying. I've never had somebody explain it the way he had it explained. And I've, you know, oh, Pedro Sauer, black belt, Marcelo Garcia, black belt, fucking Salo Hibero, black belt. Doesn't mean that those guys don't know it that way. But Danaher has a series of things he's constantly explaining to you that are, I guess the two things that stand out to me about it are, one, you know there's a knowable universe of attack progressions, right? It'll be a tree. It can go in different directions. But if you do X, they will do A or B, right? I'm going to simplify it here. They will do A or B. If they do A, you do this. If they do B, you do this. Now, once they do that, there might be another series of things you have to follow. But it all follows a tree. And all you have to do is just learn the route from the root to the acorn, right? You just follow it. Uh, because, it because it's knowable. They, they define jiu-jitsu in knowable trajectories. Right? So that's the first part. The other part is the reason that they're knowable is that they're all functions of conditions. So let me give you an example. In the back attack system, there's something called... Um, I think what's the name he gives it? It's like the it's like the the God like the head hand problem, the head arm problem, and it sounds simple enough, but the head and then the choking arm have to be on opposite sides. If your head and your choking arm are on the same side, it won't work. They've got to be on the other. There's the alignment problem where your spine has to be kind of aligned with theirs, and to the extent that you lose alignment, you begin to lose it. There's the deficit problem, which is how you're missing a limb, essentially, that you need to compete from the back to isolate the throat for strangulation. And it's a whole bunch of them, right? Because some of them are more obvious than others. But what you begin to realize is, in totality, when you're in these positions now, you're just, rather than being like, oh, my hand goes here, and my weight goes here, and then I grab the lapel here, and thinking of it in terms of like technical steps, you think of it in terms of what are the conditions that need to be in place for what I want to do? And once I have them in place, what is the what is the attack trajectory to get there? And then once you do that, it becomes so clear about what you have to do. There's a video that Joe Rogan has on one of his, I think it's like on his JRE Clips channel, where he has Danaher in studio. And Danaher is breaking down a video of, I want to say it must have been like, not this past ADCC, but the one before, so like 2017. Or was it 2018? No, 2017, sorry. Um, and it was Gordon versus Cyborg. Now, not not uh, Cyborg Santos, but Cyborg Abreu, the proprietor of the Tornado Guard. Yeah, he was the one who went up against Brendan at Metamorphos in that uh, not great match. In any event, so... Joe's a black belt. Like, he is not some kind of neophyte. And even he, you could tell he'd been taught jujitsu. This is my hunch, anyway. He'd been taught jujitsu probably by very capable teachers who are very good. But there's, there is a system in place that Danaher is walking him through. And so you see him go frame by frame and go, okay, Joe, what's next? Why? Okay, what's next? Why? Why did this happen? What's he looking for? And it's what I'm telling you. What are the, all the different conditions that need to be in place? It's not one or two. It's usually like four or five. And understanding them, the, the, the deficit problem, the head alignment problem, the, the, the you know, whatever it is, the, 
you know, the alignment and the head and arm position problem and all that kind of different stuff. What, what are all the conditions that need to be in place? And once you do, what are you looking for to advance this position? And then when he breaks it down that way, it looks so effortlessly simple. It looks so simple. It's not because you have to manage a bunch of competing challenges at the same time. But I've never seen someone who had a clarity of understanding the ingredients of success by boiling down jiu-jitsu to those two predominant considerations. Context problem, trajectory problem. How do we solve for the two of them together? Using sorting jiu-jitsu as those two competing challenges has it, it, it like such a light bulb moment for me as well. So now the only issue becomes, let's watch him work through his progressions. And once you do that, and you begin to practice it and learn it and incorporate it into your game, it is, it is, I've just, you know, I've been to a gajillion seminars, you know, uh, and I've had some great teachers who tried to use a lot of different methods of instruction to explain what they were trying to do. And for them, it probably worked. But Danaher understanding those two considerations and the way that he does, it is, it's like, remember that scene in, in the Matrix when Neo finally becomes the one and he can see the code following, fo following down? It's like that. You're like, oh shit, now all of a sudden, all of this, it makes so much more sense. So the five to seven years part, I don't know because it's constantly evolving. But when they say they're ahead of the game, I mean, you should ask other black belts what they think who are high level. Maybe they agree, maybe they disagree. But, dude, Gordon is going in there in these Nogi tournaments, and he is fucking these guys up. They're not even close. Like, he ran through people. 80. Dude, Bushesha is one of the most decorated black belt champions of our era, Gi and Nogi. And he got called for stalling on Gordon. <laughs> you know, or not quite stalling, but essentially that's what he was doing. You're like, are you shitting me? I mean, he submitted six out of eight, you know, and what was he doing every time? Taking the back, taking the back, taking the back, taking the back. You know, they know he's going to sit to guard and he's going to take the back. And he just does it every time. And these are guys who do nothing but this all day long. And here's this guy in his mid-20s who's been doing this five, six years. And just boop, right to the back. How is that possible? It's only possible if you understand jiu-jitsu in a way that others don't. And you have systems mapped out to make that possible. And he does. If they made a cruiserweight division, and God, I hope they don't. 225, who could you see going up from 205 and going down from heavyweight? I don't know. I don't even want to answer that question because I hate the idea of a cruiserweight division. I hate everything about it. Uh, let me skip one, then I'll come back to this other one. It's got seven upvotes. Up, up um, this one has ten, though. Someone says, love the chemistry between you and BC on morning combat. Information out in the description box below. I was first introduced to BC when he started appearing on the MMA beat, and admittedly... He took a few weeks to grow on me. Can you detail how you two came to know one another and what ultimately inspired the two of you to co-host your own show? 
Love the content. Appreciate the work you have both put into us. Keep us entertained, especially over the past couple of months. I had seen him around. I think we'd had some conversations because I had seen him around at some boxing shows. And uh, I don't, you know, all my memories of BC were from boxing events, not even from MMA events. And I think it was actually Chuck Mindenhall's idea to bring him on because we were looking for people as, as, uh, as staff members began to dwindle. We were looking for people in the New York area. He lived there. And I think, I think, uh, I think Chuck Mendenhall was the one who recommended him. I was like, let's give him a try. And he was immediately good. And I had known him from some boxing events. We kind of hit it off. I don't know exactly how we got to the point where, oh, I think, I think so many people fell off. At that point, it was like me, Phoenix Carnavali, Danny Segura, and BC. And, um, you know, I, I thought me and BC made a good team. I thought that he had takes that I didn't, vice versa, which is what you want. You want somebody who's got one view. You want somebody who's got a different view, whether you agree or disagree. You want a diversity of viewpoints. He sees the world differently than I do, which is great. And he's got a different background than me, which is great. He's got a different world demeanor than I do, again, which is great. So I was like, this dude is worth partnering with. And I remember when uh, I was talking to Showtime and they had some ideas. I called up BC and I was like, I got an idea. See if you're down. And he was down. So now we look at horse penises, and it's great. <laughs> uh, let's see. I'll answer this one. I'll answer this one for today. Uh, do you think the Iraq war changed how we look at mainstream media, such as New York Times and CNN and government, as they misinformed the public on weapons of mass destruction? Boy, did they ever. Now people don't take the government and mainstream media as the truth and are always skeptical of the information they provide, as shown with the rise of individuals who dedicate their life's their lives on researching and about conspiracies. Well, the problem is the ones who are researching about conspiracies are no more credible. Um, that, that's, that's, the, that's the one error everybody makes. I had a caller on my show one time, and he was like, how can you tell us to listen to this news outlet and listen to that one? And by the way, I don't watch CNN or MSNBC or Fox ever. Don't watch cable news, period. It will not help you. It's the worst choice you could make. And I do not care about... Everyone's like, oh, well, Fox is the problem. Yeah, well... So is CNN and so is MSNBC. So keep that in mind. It's not, they're not, it, they, they are based on ratings. They're not there to help you, okay? But as a, as a short answer to this, um, the, the one challenge everyone makes is, or the, the one error I should say rather, is that they rightly identify that, for example, Judith Miller at the New York Times terribly missing, I mean, just outright lying essentially to the American public. And then that they make the choice to go to a conspiracy theorist. It's that, it's that secondary decision that they get wrong rather than finding other uh, independent voices who are good in the news gathering skill, but who don't have a um, corporate master in the same way to serve. So, um, and that's hard. That obviously takes some skill to do. Um, but one of the things people get wrong is, I mean, the New York Times was just desperately wrong about uh, the Iraq war, but they were not the only ones that were wrong. I mean, you know, you, you notably left out any right-wing media. They were all wrong about it too. Um, they all got it uh, badly wrong. So what I try to do is I try to ask myself two different questions. And this is, this is helpful, by the way, for anybody in anything, sport, politics, whatever. Um, to what extent is this outlet that I am reading a news-gathering outlet? 
and I don't mean just bullshit news, like real news, right? Um, how, how many, how much resources do they have devoted to it? You know, what is their record of success? What is the chain of custody that goes into putting an article out? That kind of a thing. And understanding it's a human operation, they're going to make mistakes. Um, but that is typically going to be, typically going to be a buffer against error, right? I mean, New York Times got the, got that that war wrong, but they also published the Pentagon. But well, and the Post, I suppose, the Pentagon Papers. But um, okay, so that's that's one. Uh, the second part is that's not enough to guarantee success. So who are the voices that are speaking out against them that also do so not by offering an explanation? that seeks to define a new world, but that unpacks the errors of that mainstream media organ in, in more credible ways that capture the real world challenges. So here's what I mean. New York Times got the Iraq war wrong, badly. Judith Miller, you know, I can't say enough bad things about her. Um, I wouldn't then go to Alex Jones, who has this whole other view, even though he's right to be, I think, skeptical of some government actions, but he's, you know, the guy's selling toothpaste that cures or fights off coronavirus and, you know, has this sort of like this bizarre worldview that connects in these myriad ways where you've got radically alternate explanations for how the world works, often with very little to no evidence or evidence that's sort of misused, right? That kind of a thing. Versus, and let's say someone else who had noted the Iraq war was a gigantic mistake from the word go and called out people for over-relying on the unsourced, or not unsourced, but the unverified proclamations of truth from the intelligence assets. Someone like Glenn Greenwald. You'd be like, oh my God, the guy defending Julian Assange. Well, who was right about the Iraq war in terms of their reporting at the time? Judith Miller or Glenn Greenwald? I mean, that's a very easy question to answer. Um, now he was, I think he was practicing law mostly at the time, um, but any subsequent, like any subsequent, um, who'd be a better example that was like really speaking out at the time? Mark Ames, I think, was one. Um, God, I have to go back and look. I was so, I was so disappointed with mainstream media coverage. It was really, because yeah, by the way, Christopher Hitchens was like profoundly wrong about it, which I, I liked him a lot too. Um, God, who was a voice at the time? It's been so long now, and there was such a it was such a universal failing. But let's say, okay, how about this one? Let's take a modern example. You've got the entire left wing establishment being like, you know, the Russians are doing X, Y, and Z, and here's this unverified sourcing of an intelligence asset who said that the Russians are responsible for all the various problems that that just so happen to coincide with our political and uh, electoral failures and Glenn Greenwald, who is far to the left, I think you could reasonably say, calling bullshit on all of it, saying it's all nonsense and has been proven right time after time after time after time um, and hammering people like Rachel Maddow for it, right? For just this, you know, Russophobic nonsense that she's been promoting um, the tune of millions of dollars on cable news. That's the way I tend to measure it, 
right? I tend to ask, to what extent is this a news gathering operation and to what extent are the folks who are challenging that um, capturing what appears to be a much more realistic view of the way in which the world actually works rather than proffering this entirely divorced set of events to explain reality. Would you consider doing a fantasy fight dissected whilst we are fight deprived? Uh, I don't want to give you too much away yet, but I've got, uh, I'm working on some things to get that back up and running because there's some things that have to happen for that to work the way I want it to. And I have, there's a piece right here I have to finish building. We're working on some stuff. It's coming because I miss doing them. They're actually good for me. The the actual act of watching the tape and breaking it down and then looking, it's actually good for me to do. Uh, so I've kind of missed doing that a little bit. And what better way to do that than with, you know, uh, I think I'll have, excuse me, I think I'll have it in place, knock on wood, for May 9th. You're starting a new promotion and you're allowed to take five to ten fighters. You're not allowed to take champions, McGregor, Diaz, or Maswell. Who are you taking? Okay. Can't take champs. You can't take McGregor, Diaz, or Masvidal. That hurts. I'm taking Tony. I'm taking Colby. Uh, <laughs> I'm taking Peter Yan. Taking Max. I'm taking Chan Sung Jung. I'm taking, um, well, DC's going to retire, but if he was not retiring, and you know, I'd take him. I'd take Islam. I'd take Kevin Lee. I'd take Gaethje, Cerrone. There's a lot of great names you can pick. Michael Chiesa. That's an easy one. What are five books you want to have read during the lockdown? Oh, fuck, man. I started another one that I want to share with you guys. I'm about, I'm still only two chapters in. I, uh, I if you guys watch morning combat, uh, BC and I did like our own list of five things to help combat the quarantine. And he was like, Oh, watch fast and the furious. And here's a good beer. And those are all great too. One thing I had come up with was, um, bookshop. I think it's bookshop.org. Is that right? Yes. So most, uh, most bookstores will only make 40% independent bookstores will make 40% profit if they have an online apparatus for you to buy a book and uh, they can ship it out to you but even then they're slow the website they have to maintain will be shitty it's not very good there's just a lot of problems with it bookshop.org is an organization that they'll do everything they'll have the the site they'll collect it they'll ship it everything and the store doesn't make 40% but they can still make 30% so it's a great way to support your local bookstore. Now, the local bookstores in D.C. are pretty good. Politics and Prose is sort of a famous one, um, at least in the area anyway. But uh, I ordered a book off of there. What is the name of that book? I, I wonder if I can log in and see. And I'm about two chapters in. I have been dying to recommend a book to everybody to help them better understand philosophy of science because I have done a very poor job of explaining it. And there was a book that I bought. Yes, here it is. It is called Theory and Reality, an Introduction to the Philosophy of Science. It is written by Peter Godfrey Smith, who is a professor at Stanford. And I'm um, two chapters in, 
and now it's out of stock. God damn. Uh, I'm two chapters in, and so far, so good. He goes through terms a lot, a little bit quickly for me. Uh, it feels like it'd be a great thing to have for a classroom where someone could stop and then go over the terms in greater detail. But nevertheless, the prose is clear. The ideas are interesting. So that was one. I want to read Ezra Klein's book, Why We're Polarized. I wanted to read... Um, those are the only two I really had in my mind. Um, so those are two. But those are the only two I, I really have for now. I'll make a list of everything I've read once it's all up and done. But those are the two that are, are on the chopping block. Or the, the to-do list, I should say. When Justin knocks Tony out, do you think he'll finally get the respect he deserves? Well, if you knock out Tony Ferguson and you end a tw a, a eight-year win streak, you know, if you can't get... If you can't get respect then, I don't know when you can. Look, those two losses to Alvarez and, uh, and to Poirier hurt him. Uh, they, they hurt him. They hurt his stock. They hurt, I think, the general impression of him. And even as good as his wins have been over Cerrone, over Barboza, over Vic, I've had a lot of people write me and be like, yeah, but all three of those guys are kind of chinny right now. I mean, they're all pretty good, but blah, 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 blah. He just, even though his style has clearly changed and he's obviously a very good fighter, he has not beaten someone yet to quiet the skeptics. Let me give you an example of somebody who did. Israel Adesanya, last fight notwithstanding. I, I mean, the goalposts constantly shifted on him. Oh, well, he can't beat X, blah, blah, blah. Well, he beats him. Well, he can't beat Y, and then he beats him. And then the, the final boss in the game there was Robert Whitaker. And I know he came out today and was talking about mental health issues and burnout, and he'll be back, and he'll be, uh, you know, I think he and Izzy will fight again. But... You know, he went in there and, and kind of ran through Robert, uh, for lack of a better description. And I think there were a lot of people at that point that were like, okay, all right. I mean, there's lingering skeptics no matter what if people don't like you. But that was one of those times where folks finally came around. If Justin can do something similar to Tony, uh, no doubt about it, he'll get some. But also, let's just be honest. If Justin knocks out Tony, however likely or unlikely you presume that to be, there's also going to be people being like, well, Tony was 36, kind of you know headed towards 37. He was a little bit on the you know, the downside in terms of age for a very young and difficult division, and so you know it's just yeah, how much can you really say about it, kind of a thing. There's going to be that too. There's going to be all of that too. So that that uh, that will be the minority, but that there's nothing you can do about people like that. They're always going to say something negative. So just let them let them say what they're going to say. If you could change the result of one championship fight, what fight would it be? From a curiosity effect to the domino effect. Yeah, you know, I mean, I wouldn't want to change it, but I wonder what would happen if Connor had, oh, you said no Connor or Ronda fight. Yeah, I would have wondered what happened if Connor had lost to Jose, what that would have done. Um, What if what if Kane had never? I mean, it's, it's a lesser question now. But what if Kane had never lost or beaten rather? Um, Brock Lesnar is a big one. Um, yeah, that's probably one I'd be focused on. All right, uh, it's four oh two. So let us look at some of your questions. 
fuck. There are a shitload. Okay. From Patrick, alternate universe. The coronavirus never happens. The U.S. government instead gives you $2 trillion to invest in any single government project or department existing or new. What do you choose and why? I'd say a UBI. Do you guys see Spain is going to experiment with one permanently? I have been converted. Not all of them are created equal. The devil very much lies in the details and how it is implemented and on what terms. Uh, But I have been converted that it would be a good policy decision. If UFC careers were looked at like movie careers, what fighter do you think has or had the perfect character actor turned leading man Paul Giamatti type of career? Sage Northcutt being the exact opposite. <laughs> what fighter do you think has had or had the perfect career actor turned leading man? Um, Chris Lytle got kind of close. Probably Matt Serra. Matt Sarah was considered to be good, very good, but you know had losses here, had losses there. Barely beat Chris Lytle to even get the fight against Saint Pierre, and then goes in there and just blows his brains out, and um, forever altered. I think how the sport remembers him fondly or otherwise. So for sure, Matt Sarah would be one. Um, to an extent, you could even say Tim Sylvia would be another. Um. A lot of the guys who just got better and better and better and better still kind of topped out at a less than championship level. But those two didn't. They pushed through, and that's pretty rare. So I'd say those two, for sure. There's probably other ones as well. Luke, do you remember the moment that the world of boxing really captured your imagination? I think the most fun I've ever had at a sporting event, I talk about it all the time, unfortunately, because I'm sure people get sick of hearing it, is... Uh, when Amir Khan came to D.C. In, um, in 2011, I think, and fought Lamont Peterson, and Peterson won. Now, Peterson probably should not have won that, but he made that fight more competitive than even skeptics thought that he would, and that was at the Walter... What's that called? The, it's the convention center downtown. It's where they were... I was supposed to go to Awesome Con this month, but that obviously has been canceled since the whole world has been canceled. And uh, the convention center is like, let's see, one, two, three... It's like four blocks from the Verizon or now the Capital One Arena where the, the Wizards and the Capitals play. And uh, it's a, it's a, it was a weird venue for a fight, but it's a big one. Anyway, and HBO was there and the whole nine. And the city was just lit up that night, man. I know a lot of people talk about RG3 um, doing what he did. But anyway, you're asking about boxing. That was, was, I was I remember everything about that night. I remember the post-fight press conference. I remember Amir Khan had these people that follow him everywhere called Khan's Army, and they're constantly singing for him and stuff. And I remember how I remember how pissed off they were. Uh, I remember seeing Riddick Bow there, you know, looking terrible. He did look terrible. I remember, you know, um, Anthony Peterson, Lamont's brother. I remember the look on his face after Lamont won. I remember the reaction in the crowd. It was just, it was. And that was the first time I interviewed um, Oscar De La Hoya. Freddie Roach. That was when Freddie Roach was training GSP. Um, he was supposed to come back and I think fight Condit, if that's right, something like that. Um, I'd never had more fun covering a fight than I did in boxing anyway. I'd never had more fun covering a fight than I did that one. That's easily, easily. And I, and I covered Mayweather Pacquiao. I covered Mayweather Canelo, Mayweather McGregor. None of those compared to that one. Khabib defends his belt in September. We're doing an 
an interim in May. Stipe wins the belt in August and is injured. Why can't Big Francis get interim May 9th? I guess they want to make sure that Cormier's opportunity to get at it doesn't get changed. What would your walkout song be? I talk about this all the time. It would be the Smiths' Big Mouth Strikes Again. As you discussed on the podcast this week, Tyron Woodley is calling on everyone and their mother for rational reasons. If you were a matchmaker, who would you select as Woodley's next opponent? Well, that would depend on my interest, wouldn't it? Um, I would like to see the Edwards fight because I think the Edwards fight would tell us a lot about Tyron Woodley. And here's why. Edwards is not as good at any one thing, I think, as Tyron is, believe it or not. I mean, maybe jiu-jitsu, we'll have to see. But certainly not in wrestling, and I don't even think that's true in striking either. Except, here's a difference, he has a patient game and probably a much better gas tank. And so as a consequence, if Tyron's skill couldn't take over early, then this game management style that Edwards has, dude, it's a hard style to beat. Because he doesn't allow himself to get hurt very much. And so he just he you know sneaks in some points here, sneaks in some points there, and it just begins to add over itself. And so by the time round four, round five comes around, you're like, dude, I think I think Leon's winning this fight pretty cleanly. And that would have told you, I think, a lot about his where he was. So that one to me is a great one. Plus, if Edwards is as good as people think he might be, you know, had he won in, in London, it would have been a great it would have been a great opportunity for him to like boost his profile and all. So that's, I'm, I'm, I'm sad that that fight got, got scuttled. That would have told us a lot about both men. When Poirier said, I can't get this guy off me during the Khabib fight, I immediately suspected he was going to lose. Have you had similar uh-oh moments or realization while watching fights? Oh, yeah, sure. Oh, sure. <laughs> Hell, dude, if you've just rolled with anybody, you've felt that. There's just like times where you're like, this person is... This person's not... You can beat people better than you. You know? Maybe you have a size advantage. Maybe they're better than you overall, but you might have one kind of portion of your game you can kind of sneak in. Like, you know, maybe they're better at most things, but your half guard game and your underhooking game or something, you can kind of, you know, you can figure out a way to make it work. Then there are times when you're like, dude, there's just... I have nothing for this person. I am going to get absolutely... I have, I am, I'm trapped here. I'm absolutely trapped. And the worst part is to be trapped and tired. You know, if you, jujitsu people get tired all the time, but like wrestling will really take it out of you. And, you know, having somebody who can, here's the other part about it. I remember, um, I remember what this was like, God, this has been 2005 or something. And I was going against this dude. He's like, I'm going to knee tap you until you can stop me. He must have knee tapped me. I'm not exaggeration because we were doing 20 minute rounds, 25 times in a row. I mean, I I didn't know anything at the time, and he did. And I'm thinking to myself, "Fuck, <laughs> I can't. I literally can't stop this person. You know, I can't stop." the The unusual part about that is you usually see that when there's like a big differential in skill, right? Blue belt versus a brown or, or black. You know, you don't really see that with like blue and purple. Where, they're, where they can't get the guy off of them, you know? And that tells you Khabib's skill level because Poirier is a black belt and is with ATT and has wins over good, great fighters. Like, Poirier is an amazing talent. And Khabib was was on him like white on rice, dude. That should tell you at what level Khabib is at. Uh, have you considered leaving MMA and being a political analyst? No. I have considered... Uh, 
everyone wants me to do a, a Patreon and then doing a podcast on there that's exclusively not MMA. So if you want that, you could get it there, which means I could take it out of the live chat. But I haven't got around to it yet. Uh, also, is Jay from Morning Combat Brendan Schaub's brother? No. Jay Schaub is uh, the, one of the nicest guys on earth. Jay from Morning Combat is a fuckhead. No, he's a nice guy too. I'm just like to say mean things about him. Three things on your bucket list. Go to Japan. I've been there once, but I mean as an adult. Um, I'd love I'd love to deadlift six or seven hundred pounds. Nothing would make me happier. Um, I don't know. Make sure my kid has a good life. It's not really a bucket list thing, but like, I don't know. You know, like, go to the practices I'm supposed to go to. Take her to the events I'm supposed to. Teach her what I'm supposed to, you know. Feel like I did a satisfactory job as a dad. It's not really what you're asking, but I don't know. It's kind of what I'm thinking about. I guess if there was one more, like, personal or professional thing, I... I wouldn't mind going back on TV again, but I would really want to do it under the right reasons, you know, like in my wheelhouse, things I think I could contribute. Um, but if I can't, then that's fine too. There's a part of me, and I'm not proud of it, that kind of loved Rousey trashing the WWE and calling it fake, even though I know it's disrespectful to her fans. Did you derive any enjoyment? I mean, maybe 10 years ago I would have when I had a point to prove about it, but... You can yell about it to your blue in the face. People are just going to keep loving it. Happy to donate to the food bank. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate that. Given that you are, this person says, articulate and opinionated, well-read to an extent anyway, no interest in a career or law or politics. No, I used to work on Capitol Hill and various other iterations of my life, and I would want nothing less. Was Frank Shamrock the best MMA fighter of the 90s? Ooh, probably. Have you ever watched professional arm wrestling? Yes. The feats of strength are something I believe you'd have a massive respect for. Yeah. I saw Larry Wheels try to arm wrestle one of these professional wrestler, or, uh, arm wrestlers. And he, good, he didn't have shit for him. Someone says, thanks for supporting a local cause. How's that flashlight and bleach treating you? It's great. I feel great. I feel COVID free. Uh, Rich says, thanks for the great content. Thank you, Rich. Eric says, with the Bantamweight top 10 rankings being so strong, who do you see emerging as the strongest opponent to dethrone Cejudo? Again, I think it's Sandhagen. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a three-way race between Sterling, Sandhagen, and Jan. And it may just end up being whichever three of them gets it first, to be honest with you. But my hunch is that Jan will get it first, and then it'll be between Sterling and Sandhagen to battle it out. And we'll go from there. But yeah, that's the way to do it right there. Someone says, donating for the cause. Thank you. Uh, Tom says, happy to help a great cause. And thanks from a fellow DMVer. Thank you, Tom. Uh, thanks for the recommendations on books and the syllabus. Yes, the COVID-19 syllabus, which I recommend to everyone from Evgeny Morozov during these crazy times. You'll never find a better reading list than that one. 
What does your family think of morning combat? Do you think for two fucking seconds anyone in my family watches morning combat? <laughs> Dude, I literally... Let me explain something to you all. No one in my family... My wife will on occasion watch this live chat. So shouts to my wife if she's watching. I will give her credit for that. But outside of that, no one pays attention to anything I do. Now, now, let, me, now let, me, let me explain something. That doesn't mean that they're not supportive in the sense of like... Like I remember when I called my dad and I had the offer from Showtime. But dad was real proud. You know what I mean? Because hey, it's like my son, Showtime. Wow, that's great. You know, He, he sort of got it at that point. But like in terms of in terms of being like consumers, again, my wife will consume my stuff, certainly this live chat and some other stuff on occasion. In general, though, <laughs> they don't they don't give a fuck about the work that I do. I could like I could my radio show on Sirius XM is called the Luke Thomas show. I could literally change the name to um, My Family Sucks Donkey Balls, Sincerely Luke Thomas, and they would never they would never know the difference. I've literally gone on the air and planned like events with them, surprise events on the air because I knew they would never listen. They don't give a shit, dude. They don't, again, they want to know if like, hey, do you have a job? You know, are you paying your mortgage? Are you happy? Great. They're not downloading anything. They're not watching anything. Nothing, nothing. Uh, and at first, man, you know, when I, I remember, I remember it's kind of just, it's like weird because, you know, I, when I first got on the radio, I remember thinking to myself, like, wow, man, I got on the radio. This is great. I have a radio show. It's on the weekends, but I'm on the radio, right? You think, at least maybe your family's different, but although it's funny, all of my producers, all of their families listen to my show. My family doesn't. But um, you think, oh, I'm going to get on the air and, like, that act will prove to your family that your show is worth listening to by, by virtue of the fact that the gatekeepers let you in. And then when you come to find out, it's like, no, what they do is that they trust that the gatekeepers let you in for non-frivolous reasons. They don't give they don't give a fuck about your show, dude. Yeah, I mean, I can say right now, like, you know, my family are watching this shit. So what do they think of Morning Combat? Ten bucks says my family couldn't even name the show I do. Ten bucks. I'd bet anybody, I'd bet anybody right now could my family, my wife, not my wife obviously knows, but like outside of that, could anyone in like the Thomas family, could they name? If I said, what's the name of the Showtime program I do? Dude, if it was name the program that I do or get thrown into a pit of cobras, they're all going to meet the cobras. Uh, Luke, just found out my girl loves gas station food. How do I end things with her? Drop her off at BC's house. Someone says, uh, keep up the great work. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate the donation. Durzo Blint says, what do you consider a good friend? Any examples of someone who stood and stands out to you? I don't know what the bring Sally up push-up challenge is. Um, I've had the same friends since I was 17. So partly it's just a function of longevity, but you might be asking what contributes to the longevity. Gosh, I don't know. I've not really meditated on that too much. Um, you know what? I don't have a good answer for you. I have to think about that. 
I have to think about that. Other than the commission being on board, do you think there's any significant difference in health risk on May 9th versus April 18th? Without knowing more about the protocol, hard to say, right? Hard to really say. Um, again, my attitude is, you know, I don't think this is the same overall risk as we had on April 18th, but how much less? Don't know. Don't know. Hard. It's just hard to know. And it doesn't matter how different it is. Arguing about it won't convince anybody. We all know. If you, if you were willing to go forward with it on April 18th, You'd, you'd be, of course, willing to go through it on May 9th, right? Where it's even safer, in theory. So, it, I don't know. I don't know. Oops. Are you affiliated with the CIA? I wish. That'd be an extra paycheck, right? Compare and contrast your political and philosophical stances from your college years to today. What were key factors and influences that led to change, uh, sort of major events. 9-11 was one. Uh, the media failure around the Iraq war would be another. Recession of 2007, certainly the current one. Uh, I would say I, would, I was in college right-leaning to libertarian, which is sort of like a cop-out when you say, oh, libertarian, but, you're not. but I really was. Like, I really had read Anarchy State and Utopia. I had taken those ideas seriously. I had thought that at the time, the privatization of Social Security would be a good idea. I went to the Cato Institute symposium around it. I read the entire book that they had produced. Like, I took those things as seriously as one could, I suppose. And this is before the Koch brothers had become entrenched in that in that think tank. Um, and then, and then, these events happen that begin to tell you that. Um, much of your reasons for potentially believing in them were probably very bad. Thoughts on Ben Shapiro and veganism. Is he vegan? Very different topics and unrelated to MMA, but I value your opinion. Well, veganism I find to be the most ethically consistent form of food consumption, but uh, it has had a, a significant issue in convincing people to take it seriously because studies have shown that what, what if you showed someone a video of the horrors of factory farming, they will agree with you that in general, this is pretty horrible. There are a few people on the internet that'll be like, I don't care about these pigs getting picked up by their tails and then smashed over on the ground, you know, and brutally murdered. Like they care about that. But if you ask them, uh, what's more important to you, these horrors of factory farming or being able to feed your family with clean, affordable, when I say clean, I mean like safe to eat, um, and affordable food that is convenient to get at a nearby grocery store every time those latter considerations weigh out so it's not like they don't care they just they can't they can't find a way to reconcile that with convenience and price and these sort of standards we become accustomed and so that's why you're seeing things like memphis meats beyond meat and possible foods begin to invest in plant-based meat substitutes or in the case of memphis meats they actually grow meat in a lab and i was joking with james vick on the the, the fighter on twitter because he was like i would never eat this food and i'm like I would eat Memphis meats tomorrow, right? I mean, all the arguments that you would make about the horrors of factory farming, part of them are just about the treatment of animals, but the other part is about the over-reliance on uh, antibiotics, how it affects um, water supply. Uh, I mean, any number of environmental disasters. It's not the most efficient way to till the land. You, just, you can go on and on. Um, Memphis meats would be a reaction to that. So like, for example, it's grown in a lab. I don't give a shit, right? 
Secondly, uh, that lab is filmed at all times and you would have access to it. Right? Part of their plan is that you would actually have webcams. You could just look at how the meat is made at all times, live at all times. And so rather than you have these ag gag laws where you know people have to like sneak into these slaughter homes to film chickens being stomped on, quite literally, uh, and then if you publish that in certain states, you could be sent to, to jail for it. Memphis Meats goes the exact opposite direction. Like, come take a look at all of it. Um, so, so I'm a big believer that that will work and could work. It's just going to take time for the technology to, to get there. But yeah, as far as Ben Shapiro, come on, y'all. Just there's better choices to spend your time on. Since Fight Island is pretty much confirmed, the UFC should use this time to make a Fight Island version of the Ultimate Fighter. I guess. Oh, ever find out in the last chat that you read Kanye West lyrics? Yes. Yes, I did. Um, I found out through Bohashinya Depot. I didn't realize. Yeah, I'm old. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to catch up on the trolling. If you want to spend five bucks for, for a food bank to troll me, by all means, keep it up. Any news? On, okay, I don't know who this person is. Uh, people asking about Piers Morgan holding MPs to task on his talk show in the UK. I've heard things. I've not seen anything. Um, typically, he's got dumb shit things to say about Arsenal. More questions about Ariel. Uh, we'll see another one. Luke, I'm from, <coughs> excuse me, I'm from Ireland and have a holiday book to Bulgaria at the end of June with friends. Be honest. Will we be in Bulgaria at the end of June? No, you will not. Um... The Navy recommended Captain Brett Crozier be reinstated as commander of the USS Theodore Roosevelt. This is from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, well, if they did that, because did you see how, oh my God, oh my God, who was this fucking jamoke who was the acting secretary who fired him and then tells the crew that the previous captain was stupid. Meanwhile, you had, you had sailor, I think a sailor die and it was what, 800 plus on the Roosevelt who had tested positive for the coronavirus. Like, every warning that Crozier had was ended up being utterly justified. Uh, and then you and you go this and you demoralize the troops like that. I mean, you couldn't believe how stupid that guy was. He was stupid. Anyway, he ended up quitting. And now, again, I had seen that they were thinking about reinstating him. Is that true? Let me see. Just because I don't want to read fake news on the air if I can avoid it. Anyway. Knowing that some of you donks troll. Oh, he did. Wow. Okay, great. Yeah, good for him. Dude, you look at uh, uh, Captain Crow. Ca Captain is the same as a colonel in the Marine Corps, and the, I think the Army as well, which is 06, right? That's a full bird colonel, y'all. Full bird colonels come in the room not every day. Especially when I was an enlisted guy. You don't talk to full bird colonels like, all the time. That's a. They're. They're off doing their own thing, and that's one step short of brigadier, then major, then you know, sort of one-star, two-star, three-star, four-star general. Uh, it's a big deal. And so if he gets reinstated, he will make admiral, I think. They absolutely did him dirty. He absolutely did the right thing. He is utterly vindicated. And the Navy, who had problems with the whole... I mean, the Navy, what a mess they're in with going to battle for Gallagher, the SEAL... And taking away his trident, then not taking away his trident, 
and then you had this shit blow up in your face. It's like, mm, you know, let's fix this problem. Just put the guy back who was doing a good job. Uh, my dream fight is Gary versus Khabib. With a great coach like John Danaher, I say Tonin heel hooks Khabib and is too tough to tap out. Then Tonin ends up winning via strangulation. Um, Not yet, but we'll see how things go. Tonin and I certainly believe in his abilities, to be clear. It's just Khabib is, I think, a little bit bigger. And I realize that, you know, they could make it work from a weight class standpoint, but he's big. We've all got to see bad home studio setups over the past few weeks. Thanks for working out your technical issues over the year. Never forget the days of 60-minute podcasts with 25 muted minutes in the middle. <laughs> Just wanted to donate to the cause. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. My most memorable chaplain story? You mean like, like the naval chaplain? I didn't go to church. Uh, Paulie had a donation. Thank you, Paulie. Evan says... Thoughts on the Packer drafting Love the first round? Yeah, didn't they didn't they draft a quarterback? I mean, I guess, you know. <laughs> Sorry, Aaron. Sean writes, I finally got my dad to listen to your interview with Patrick Wyman, and he loved it. He said you came off as humble and funny. Wow, he doesn't know me very well. <laughs> uh, I hope he checks out your show or your YouTube channel more. Well, thanks to Sean and thanks to Sean's dad. Some movies and shows you've been watching since the quarantine. Um, I watched A Most Violent Year on Netflix. It was okay. I watched, uh, rewatched Enter the Dragon last night. Uh, oh, what a great movie that is. Golly. Um, oh, I've got a recommendation for you, Donks. Do I not? Yes, I do. Fuck all those shows. You can find someone else for that. I found a YouTube channel that is brilliant. And I don't say this very often. Have you guys ever seen, it's called, um, I want to make sure I get this name right. I believe it's called Every Frame is a Painting. Every Frame a Painting. Yes, he's got 1.7 million subscribers with only 28 videos. Motherfucker, I'll put 28 videos up in a month. But in any event, every frame of painting is just brilliant. I don't know who the guy is who runs it or what his background is, but he basically explains how great movie makers, particularly from a direction standpoint, make movies. So, for example, I was looking up some critical responses to Akira Kurosawa. I was watching the movie Ran. I saw that one. It's essentially like a Japanese King Lear. And I was looking at like what makes Kurosawa so special. And he goes through and shows you all the camera tricks and all the framing he does and how it's amazing. And then last night, he had one on like how Jackie Chan is able to do both action and comedy but like action comedy, like there are people who can do a little bit of action, a little bit of comedy, even in the same movie, but it doesn't feel the same way that Jackie Chan does. And I won't spoil the video, but I'll say something about one of the actions. Like, uh, it's less so related to the comedy, but about the action that Jackie Chan does. This is so brilliant. The, the guy who does the, uh, the, the channel, he was explaining that Western and Eastern movie directors have very different sensibilities about how to film fight scenes. And Jackie Chan is way ahead of the curve when it comes to like Western directors. And in fact, if you look at some of the movies 
that Jackie Chan has done in Hollywood, they don't quite have the same feel as some of his other movies. Even, yes, they have a higher budget, but they're actually like lower quality fight scenes. And he actually goes through and explains, and again, I'm not spoiling the video, trust me, there's much more I'm leaving out. But there was one thing I picked up on that he talked about, or not picked up on, but I, uh, I'll share with you now. In, in Hong Kong, which was the original home of sort of uh, certainly Chinese cinema, but a lot of martial arts cinema, now it appears to be Indonesia, where you have like these guys from The Raid and The Raid 2 and The Night Comes for Us. But they incorporate a lot of the same things I'm about to say. Jackie Chan, what he, one thing he would do is he would shoot wide angle and they would fix the camera. I mean, they might move it like this, but they don't, they just keep it there and they lock it in place and they let the action play out. Why is that important? Because what they often do in America is you'll see someone get hit and they'll be they'll be here, right? And so this is their back and you can't quite see them throw the punch. And when they do, they'll switch the camera angle when the punch lands. And they're doing that because they think that they're adding dynamism to the scene. But in fact, what they're doing is taking away from it. Jackie Chan figured out, don't do that. Zoom wide or, you know, zoom out wide. And then just lock it in place. And what you'll notice is, one, he'll frame something in the scene that the fight will then move to. And so he's like sort of foreshadowing where the action is going. And then on top of that, you you see everything. You see every punch generated, turned over, land. You see them block and respond and throw back. And the camera does not move. And it ends up, as a, if, you, if you have the initial shot right, it ends up being significantly more realistic it just creates for better action now there are comedic elements he brings in which i leave to the video channel or the the channel to watch but it was such an astute observation it was so smart that's one tenth of all the details he shares again every frame a painting uh is the name of the channel cannot recommend it more highly every time i click on something this guy has produced i'm like wow this guy is brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Go check that out and then go watch some of the movies that he selects in there. And like the Kurosawa one where he uses um, still versus motion with no talking to, to, to set moods and to create beautiful cinematography. Amazing, amazing, amazing work. That, I, I, I found that channel and I was like, holy crap, this guy is good. He's got to be a teacher somewhere. He's just too smart. So this is finally donating. Uh, Ramadan Mubarak. Yeah, shouts to all the uh, of our uh, Muslim brothers and sisters can, can, uh, having Ramadan. What was your journey the first four years after getting out? Did you have an exit strategy prior to signing your DD-214? Well, I'd also graduated college at the same time. I had two more years left. So I was, what, 24 when I got out? No, dude, I was a complete failure at 24. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I have, I have, like everything, figured it out as I went. Luke, do you enjoy go-go music, if at all? Yeah, I have Backyard Band in my uh, phone. Some of it I can't quite get into, but like Trouble Funk, Rare Essence. I mean, these are DC institutions, right? John versus Israel. How does one knocking out the other change careers for both positive and negative, depending on if it happens to one or the other? So if John knocks out Israel, it wouldn't change a whole lot because you'd seen him be knocked out before and he'd be the bigger man. 
um, obviously be bad for Israel. It wouldn't be great, but it wouldn't be like as earth shattering versus the opposite, which is that if Israel went up there and knocked out John, one, that'd be important because John would have lost two badly three. Uh, you know what I've been saying before, like John's offense is not what it used to be. It's definitely not nearly as potent. You know, he had nine attempted takedowns on Reyes. He got two of them and those barely count. He got two of nine and the two are like, I mean, they're like technically you got it, but not really. What's keeping John in these fights is defense. His defense is phenomenal. Really good. So if you got knocked out with your defense is good, that's a problem, right? Uh, John says, thanks for all the hard work. Slante, uh, I don't know how to say it. I'm sorry, I'm, bu I'm butchering it. Someone has some kind of weird quote. Thoughts on the PFL cancellation, cuts, and stipend? I mean, the thing about it is this. It's like, look, man, there are a lot of businesses making really difficult, awful decisions about who to keep and on what terms. And I don't know if cutting a third of their roster, particularly the ones who can't travel, let's say, is the best call. But I understand that these are all difficult calls and there's never going to be any really one good answer. So I'm not even necessarily mad at them for that. I mean, maybe it's the right answer, maybe it's not. I don't It's I don't have enough information to say. We don't internally know what, what kind of resources they have to share. Um, I just know it's not necessarily out of step with a lot of decisions, very difficult decisions that other businesses are making. So I'm less upset about that. It's just that they hit it. <laughs> Thinking no one was going to find out, I guess. I don't know. If you had just been transparent about it, like we had to make a difficult decision about roster culling, but the ones we have remained, we're, we're going to be able to give stipends to. I think some people would have under... I would have understood that, I think. It's just that when you try to do one and go, don't look over here, don't look over here, that's when you get a bit of a problem. Best bar in D.C. for both locals and visitors. God, Rock and Roll Hotel shut down, which broke my heart. Um, Little Miss Whiskey's is cool. It's on 8th Street. I mean, I'm 40. What do I know? You know, ask somebody in their 20s. But if you want to know what, like, like good scene for, for uh, like, cool atmosphere and, like, great choices to drink. Um, is it um, Little Miss Whiskey's? And then what is it? The same, the guy owns the same place, Jimmy Valentine's. Jimmy Valentine's is cool. Um, what's another good one? There's a bunch on 14th Street, but they're full of people in their 20s, you know. I show up there, and it's like, Grandpa's here. Can I have a birthday shout-out, says Sherry. Since you donated, happy birthday, Sherry. Julian Pinto, or Julian, depending on um, the name, is it me, or is Ike Corte uh, very underrated? God, him and uh, Iran Barkley, no one talk about anymore, yes. If you like every frame, the... YouTube channel. Check out Like Stories of Old, on par if not superior. All right. There you go. Like Stories of Old. Is that some porn channel that I'm now reading out because you're all trolling me? See what you did to me? Like Stories of Old. Let's see. Is that true? No, it's real. Bitch, they've got 324,000 subscribers with 65 videos. How is that better? Every frame a painting has like 30 vids and nearly 2 million subscribers. All right, but that's not by itself not an example of uh, quality. All right, um, how much did we raise? Wow, 728. Okay, uh, well, here's the thing. YouTube's going to take a cut of that, but that's going to put us pretty close 
to 2500 right away around and I'm going to put a little bit extra on top and when I do I will make sure everyone knows I will record it and document it I will I, hopefully I can get uh Capillary Food Bank to not acknowledge it for praise but to know that I'm not stealing from everybody that it, the transaction did in fact happen but I'll find a way to make it happen let me just say this thank you to everybody who donated this past month and I'm going to take the video I did that was the immediate live reaction when 249 was canceled I'm taking the ad rev from that one <coughs> and I'm going to add that in as well um, thank you it's all going to go to the Capital Area Food Bank it's going to really help uh people dealing with food insecurity issues. It means a lot to me and quite literally couldn't do it without you. So thank you. I really appreciate it. Um, as I mentioned, working on a project here in the studio that I'll have up, I think before May 9th that I'm excited to share with you. I finally will make some space here to have a secondary shot. You guys are all looking at this. It'll be a little bit different and, um, Appreciate everyone's patience. Okay, so got some videos coming up over the weekend. And uh, yeah, that's it. Thumbs up on the video. Subscribe. Share it around. Thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody who donated. That, that, that money is going to go to people who um, really need the food. And I really, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate it. It's fucking great. Really appreciate it. All right? So have a good weekend. Be safe. And until next time, stay frosty.